0: Welcome to The stock out. This is your show at Freightwaves for all things related to the consumer packaged goods industry, the CPG industry, and also the retail industry. And I'm going to be your host for today, Mike Baudendistel, head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freightwaves. And what we're going to do today is have a show that's focused on Amazon and what sellers on the Amazon marketplace have to do to grow their brands on Amazon, do that effectively. Um, heard from the FTC complaint just how difficult that supposedly is. So we're going to be digging into that with a guest who is um, you know, very experienced on this matter. Uh, Chris Moe is CEO of Cartograph. I'll be interviewing him in just a second. He assists sellers um, with growing their brands and sales on the Amazon uh, marketplace. So we had him on before and wanted to get him back to discuss um, the, the latest uh, uh, issues with, with Amazon. But before I do that, I wanna make sure everyone ha- has an opportunity to sign up for the Stockout newsletter, uh, which gets sent out uh, every week on um, you know these topics. You can do that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout. So try to get that out in the middle part of the, the week and really go through uh, Freightwaves um, content as, as for what is important to to shippers. And so like the one that was just just went out, Went through, um, you know, some of the articles that came out on on convoy, the, the convoy shutdown, and you know some of the highlights that 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 really um, sort of make a difference for 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 shippers. What those things said about the marketplace, also what various carriers were saying about their outlook for the freight market. Uh, so, I'd encourage you to go and sign up uh, for that. Um, and so I want to intro um, today's topic, which is, a, I'll give a little bit of a summary of the Amazon uh, complaint by the Federal Trade Commission and 17 states attorneys general for anyone that has not followed this closely. So this was brought um, up in uh, late September. It was something that FTC, um, you know, chairperson was working on for some time. She made it the, um, you know, Thesis of, of one of her, um, you know, law school, you know, papers. So people always sort of speculated that she was going to come down hard on, on, on Amazon. But you know, from the perspective of CPG companies, um, it really sort of highlighted the difficulty that it is to um, join the Amazon marketplace. You know, sell on the Amazon marketplace and, and, and sell that profitably. So basically, all that a seller on Amazon Marketplace has to do to sell uh, profitably is they have to make sure their prices are consistent with the other online superstores. Can't be, can't be much different. So the results don't get buried and have the buy box uh, taken away. And if they're computer, competing sellers selling the same thing, they have to win the buy box. That's the box that says, you know, buy, put in your cart or, or um, you know check out with one click. Uh, they potentially have to buy enough advertising to win that buy box. And the seller should not forget about Amazon Prime, which Amazon Prime customers uh, buy about four times as much as non-Amazon Prime customers do. And in order to get on the Amazon Prime list, uh, they have to use the Amazon Prime uh, fulfillment, warehousing, you know, pack and pick and, and, and delivery. And Amazon got rid of the seller fulfilled Prime, which would have been an alternative to using Amazon's fulfillment centers, potentially at lower cost. And so the FTC alleges that these total fees on Amazon can be up to 50% of sellers' gross sales. So it does make it difficult to make a profit for the sellers. And then there was something in the complaint called Project Nessie, which seems a little nebulous. was mostly redacted, but it seemed like it was some kind of algorithm uh, where Amazon would test changes in uh, competing sellers' prices in response to their own changes in, in price to see essentially almost how elastic the pricing is relative to, to their own. Um so uh so all, all those things. And then the FTC says well you put all those things together, they reinforce each other to, to make it even a, a more monopolistic situation than it would be if they were just doing one of those things on its own. So so really a lot going on there. It was kind of a fascinating um in a read to, to go through that complaint. Uh, but want to bring on today's guest um who really has a lot of insight into this. It's uh, going to be Chris Moe, the CEO of Cartograph. Uh, do we have Chris online? Great. Hey, you hey, are? Mike. How's it going? D- doing well. How are you? Good to see you again.
1: Yeah, excited to be back. Excited to be back. And uh, yeah, lot lot to unpack with this new um, FD, FTC complaint you just uh, went through.
0: Yeah. So that's what I wanted to ask you. I mean, you you. You know deal with these issues for a long time uh, you have a lot of insight in here that you know people who 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 don't deal with the the sellers on the amazon marketplace would would could could possibly have what was your initial reaction to the to the FTC you know lawsuit
1: so um i think i think my my initial reaction was one not too surprising like um as you mentioned lena Khan the head of the FTC she actually Made her name in the legal world with a pretty groundbreaking paper when she was at Yale Law. Um, I think it was back in 2017 about Amazon's um, monopoly pricing. Now, what was interesting about the the case was how broad it was, and that it actually didn't even um, assert for an outcome. It was almost like a kind of like a blanket um, statement across. Uh, all the different things that are going on on amazon um wow. oftentimes the stuff that gets in the in the press of like criticism of amazon anti competitive all that kind of stuff it uh they tend to miss the point in fact like the the topic that has been most in the press, I would say over the last um five years has been about white labeled products, which i don't think was that strong of, a, of an argument, but I think in this case, they really made some strong arguments, um, both about price matching and, uh, you know, promotion of their own products over um, other sellers' products.
0: Interesting, so white white label, those would be like a, the, the Amazon um, basics and those things that are, okay, okay they're, they're basically private label. Okay. So th- that's interesting. I mean, wh- one thing I want to ask you is, is one of the things FTC alleges is that if, if the, you just don't sort of play by the rules with having prices that are elsewhere that, that aren't much different than Amazon, you, you can't have price of, let's say, $10 on Amazon, have it $8 someplace else, that they bury you in the search results. So they really, they really do that. Is, that. is that an accurate um, description?
1: Yeah, I, I would say the first answer is yes, but deserves a little bit more um, explanation. So what, what happens is Amazon has um, what's often referred to as a most favored nation pricing rule, where they say you must have the same pricing um, that's competitive with other major um, e-commerce retailers. And so generally speaking, in the CPG world, that's Walmart, Target, um, properties owned by Kroger, like Vitacost, um and uh costco and then um you know in some cases other categories there's other retailers online and so what happens if you have a price that is not as low as the other retailer is amazon hides your buy box and what the buy box is is it's actually a box on the right side of um, a product page on amazon that has the add to cart button and so effectively what they're doing is hiding the add to cart button um, and then you have to click another white button that says see buying options in order to even be able to add the item to your cart. And so um, that reduces add to carts by well over half. And, um, mm-hmm. and so what that has the effect of is Amazon search results are very much performance um, weighted based upon how much people click and add to cart and purchase. And so it has the follow on effect of making your product go down in search. So not exactly direct, but um, does have that impact.
0: Yeah, it seems like when it's like, you know, search for other options that are buying out, it's almost like a signal to the, to the, to the, to the customer that this isn't a good deal, right? It's almost like something's in short supply and you're, you're paying a scalper for an inflated amount for the um, item that it makes you not want to buy it. You also brought up an interesting point uh, when we were going back and forth over email about if, if something's on the customer's, own or, or seller's own website is sort of direct to consumer, that's excluded from all of this. So, so you know, that, that seller can have it at that $8 price. It can be on Amazon at $10 and they don't penalize that seller. Is that right? That's, that's
1: right. So it's kind of a, a kind of a funny distinction. And I think where Amazon gets into trouble here is where they enforce this a little bit inconsistently um, and have mm-hmm. unclear mm-hmm. rules about it. Um, so they don't price match to your direct-to-consumer website. Um, they generally will price match to these other major retailer websites. Uh, it's not totally consistent enforcement. And I think Amazon actually uh, deliberately is unspecific on exactly what the rules are, because sometimes these these rules will mm-hmm. flick on and off. But where it really gets tricky for CPG brands is um, if, if you think about like the the corporate strategy of Walmart, Target, um, other retailers, they're really pushing to have more and more of their business online. And so mm-hmm. because, mainly because of Amazon taking so much of the online market share. And so what they're doing is they're um, often making online offers that are in line with in-store pricing or offers mm-hmm. that don't include shipping. And so you can imagine, you know, you're, you're shipping uh, a drink, Right, and and a drink in a in a store might be three four bucks if that, um, and if you don't include shipping, there's no way that that you could match that. And then all of a sudden, Amazon is forcing a brand to match that, and so it's just economically unviable. Obviously, it's not usually singular drinks, but the same thing occurs with, um, for example, single bags of chips and things like that, where Target.com or Walmart.com said, oh, here's our in-store price, and yeah, you could ship it too. And then they have some kind of um, cart construction where they include shipping later on, and so that's what makes it really difficult for CPG brands to um, compete on Amazon with smaller kits.
0: Okay, so if they if they were to compete on Amazon, it almost seems like they would have to have kind of their own Amazon SKUs that fits into a, sort of sort of the, the, the sort of the packaging sizes that works for Amazon and and all of those things and and maybe you have to you know sell a case of the drinks instead of just a single drink in that case. Yeah. Um,
1: that's that's exactly right and that's actually where Amazon strategy gets really complex and where Amazon's rules get really confusing. So what what you'll find is you go you go on Amazon and most of the CPG products for sale there on free prime shipping, you know, excluding Amazon Fresh or local delivery options, um tend to be larger units just to account for the economics necessary to ship the product. Now, when brands run into this price matching problem, they'll often either introduce unique SKUs or unique sizes. Things you often see are multi-packs, variety packs in particular, um, and ones that don't, aren't actually for sale at these other retailers. Um, and then you can also make different sized units. Like, uh, you know, you might get a 12 ounce bag in, um, a gro- in the grocery store and then you list like a 14 or a, or a 16 on Amazon. And Amazon's actually quite inconsistent on when they enforce price matching across this. And so when we work with our clients, we say, hey, this, there's kind of like a sliding scale of options of least likely to be price matched and most likely to be price matched. Um, and we should try all these different things, like including, I think, like one of the one of the most effective strategies, least likely to be price matched, is if you do a variety pack with a different size unit in it. So, like almost like a sample unit in it. But um, the, the the funny thing with this is Amazon will still sometimes price match some of these items. Amazon has has either said directly in conversation, they're like, we're going to price match it on a price per ounce. Not actually priced per unit. It's not exactly the same thing. Oh, really? but we huh? know what it is, and we're going to price match it. And so it's very inconsistent. And I think that's what makes it hard because brands have to make pretty substantial investments in in making units or making sizes or building things that work for the Amazon platform. And then the inconsistent enforcement of the rules just make it hard um, for uh, brands to operate.
0: That's really interesting um, that, that they would do that. Um, Sort of converted to price per ounce, and and so you can't start to make the arguments that it's a a different SKU and different um, item entirely. Uh, You wanted to ask you also about you know one of the things that comes out in the the FTC complaint is concept of Amazon Prime and that in order to do it you have to use the Amazon fulfillment centers, which it seems like you know those Amazon fulfillment centers are everywhere these days, and that those are very expensive. Um, do, Do you think the the sellers are being treated fairly? in that case, and, and is, that, um, is is it really a big issue if you don't use Amazon's fulfillment centers? Do you wanna use a different fulfillment center? Because there's lots of fulfillment companies that we know here at, at, at Waves they're doing fulfillment, do a pretty good job on it.
1: Totally, totally, so it's, it's, it's a really complex question. You have to unpack it in a few different ways. So first on the, I think the first part of the question is can you compete without the prime badge on Amazon? And I think the answer is largely not really. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you're shopping, you'll see a a product that doesn't have the prime badge and you might click it if you really want that product, but it tends to decrease your, um, again, just like the buy box being suppressed, it decreases your conversion by a significant amount. And so not having the prime badge is not really a um, viable option if if you're really trying to compete at scale on Amazon. Now, you, you mentioned earlier on um, on, um, bot, sorry, seller fulfilled Prime, Amazon's option to do your own shipping and get the Prime badge. Amazon actually just reopened this in beta about a month ago, um, hmm. but for really for all intents and purposes, it is still a small beta. The bar to operate on it is very. Difficult. Like you need to have a very competent um, logistics and supply chain in order to do it with good ship times and like you know uh, availability on most of the days and so forth. And so it's not really an option for most brands. So all of this to say that you basically do need Prime to compete, and you basically do have to go through for the vast majority of brands selling on Amazon. You do need to go through Amazon's fulfillment centers. Now. If that is the case to compete, um, you you can then ask a couple different questions. One is, is Amazon price gouging consumers on the fulfillment side? And the answer Mm -hmm. I would say is probably not that much. Um, Amazon Prime rates or fulfillment by Amazon rates tend to be uh, quite fair relative to, you know, if you check. Freight rate rates um, elsewhere, especially for one and two day two day shipping, and so it's it's a little bit hard to make the argument that like Amazon is really doing monopoly pricing on their um, fulfillment services in isolation. Now it gets a little bit more complex when you say okay, but you have to pay platform fees, and then there's there's kind of like platform lock in. You may not be able to get service on. On the business, you may not be able to like, you know, take your inventory out because it's very hard to get a hold of a human. And Then it becomes, a, this is when it gets to this, this kind of like, okay, um, Amazon might have a bit too much control, even if it's not about just pricing the shipping rates in isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty mm-hmm. hard to compete. Uh, it, it's, you have to play exactly by their rules. Otherwise, um, you can't really um, have an effective business on the platform.
0: yeah it's it's interesting i mean it seems like if consumers are being taken advantage of by amazon they like aren't sophisticated enough to know it because it's like almost everyone has amazon prime almost everyone you're gonna know, renews their amazon Supri- Prime subscription everyone seems to like the service seems to be addicted to the service it it almost seems like if anyone's being taken advantage of it is maybe some of these sellers that have a difficult time um you know being profitable there and it's kind of some of the language you use in some of your materials i think is, is interesting like you know even on your website you say we help brands grow on on amazon well it's, it's interesting you use those words instead of helping brands you know boost profits on 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 amazon and then there was a, a slide deck i think you had that 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 said you know it is it is possible to be profitable selling on amazon marketplace well the implication there it's it's really difficult <laughs> so i i thought all those things were interesting um and then you you talk about how you help sellers on amazon marketplace with their upstream strategy what What do you mean by that
1: yeah so all of these questions are, are are extremely related our business exists because it's hard to succeed on amazon and it's hard to be profitable we actually really pride ourselves in um over 90 percent of our clients at, at scale are profitable net of all costs on amazon for the channel um and that's not not easily done uh we, we talk about upstream work. It's a term that we take from, from other industries. And what we say is upstream work is picking your retail assortment, designing your kitting um, supply chain and how you interface freight with Amazon before you enter the Amazon supply chain. And this is actually where we believe in, in our experience, you, you set the possibility for profitability on Amazon. If you don't set that up right, once you get down to like you know optimizing the pages and advertising and so forth, you actually don't really stand a chance. Um, it's both understanding unit profitability and then also long-term competitiveness of the offer, whether or not you'll be able to, to play against your peers. And so this upstream work actually includes a lot of what we were talking about earlier with what kind of pack should you have? Um, will that is that pack at risk of being price matched? Do we need to make some kind of unique variety pack or multi-pack do we need to think about line pricing both on and off amazon and um Mm -hmm. for a lot of emerging brands it's all of these questions are moving targets because you're going into retail stores as the brand evolves you change your offering retailers ask for different um terms oftentimes the product prices even change and so you have to really be careful about setting up your your amazon business that's profitable and sustainable even before you get to the um, to the side of Amazon marketing.
0: Yeah, so a lot changes pretty quickly. I mean that was one of the things I, I gathered from one of your recent newsletters is you you mentioned that you know some of the, the some of these things are just a moving target where Amazon kind of changes the rules kind of on the fly. I mean what, what are some of the examples of the things that they've that they you know changed that have made things difficult for, for sellers.
1: Yeah so I've have two examples. The first one we've talked about a little bit before, which is the price matching. The the price mm-hmm. matching rule would be difficult but navigable if it were predictable and consistent. Right? If they said, if, mm-hmm. if we said if you sell the same thing, it will be price matched to the same thing as Walmart and you knew that would always be the case, that would work. Mm-hmm. But actually instead um you're not sure when it's going to be price matched, and so the you're in this kind of prisoner's dilemma of you know that something could happen, but oftentimes given your inventory position and kind of like the the real constraints of the business, your most optimal move is to is to play as if that move isn't going to happen in the short term and so that just creates mm-hmm. a lot of complexity into the business um and and you know these things like what should something be price matched if it's Slightly different than something in the retailer um, or or you know you can even ask the bigger existential questions on like that that shipment doesn't involve shipping it's really not a fair fair match so that's that's one where um, you know a- Amazon is a little bit tough to work with and inconsistent. The other is Amazon changes their policies on their policies and rates on on shipping and the reason I say policies is their their logic on how they, um, how they charge shipping rates. And so this is natural. Every, every logistics company does this. Inflation adjustments, um, peak, peak time adjustments, and so forth. Um, but sometimes these changes can be a little bit different. One, one example is Amazon has a, what they call their small and light program, which is a program for products intended for products under 15 bucks that are pretty small and they give discounted um, shipping rates on them. And in the last few months, Amazon is actually sunsetting this, this program and then changing it to kind of like work into their ordinary fees. Certain businesses, one of our clients in particular, was built around, their their and was built around the viability of this program, that, that we're exactly the right size and we get exactly the shipping rate, and that makes our whole business work. When that went away, mm-hmm. we had to, totally re-rationalize re- our product strategy and totally think about, okay, could we do a price drop? Do we have to just sell multi-packs now? And um, yeah, that, that change, which was not just a like, freight rate, but it was actually like a structural pricing thing, did make it a little bit harder to... Um, you, know, you can imagine brands who are, are blindsided by this and don't have the resources to make a pivot or, or the knowledge to, um, really creating problems for them.
0: Yeah, so you really have to know the rules of the game to to, to do that, and then stay on top of them. Um, which I could see how that's really helpful to be in contact with you to um, read your newsletter and all those things, just to, to be on top of all these things. But why do to ask you? You also deal with Instacart and sellers, you know, help sellers with with, with Instacart. Yeah, I did see the stock has been weak. Some of the analysts are saying, "Well, is this you know business model really you know defensible?" You know, what are your sort of views on? And selling on Instacart um, at a high level, and um, do you think uh, they they really have something that's that's differentiated there?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question and actually a pretty tricky question to unpack. Um, I think Instacart is fundamentally a very premium product, right? You're mm-hmm. you're at your core, you're paying somebody else to go into the store, pull something off a shelf, and drive it to your house. And so the amount of people who, who really should practically afford that labor, it, it's hard to imagine it becomes a totally mass market thing because people are just increasing their grocery budget um, long-term. And so for brands as well, advertising on Instacart can be um, a great way to increase your, your velocity in store. And in fact, it's like one of the only places that you can do that digitally. Versus like in-store options like couponing or you know doing promos and stuff like that, it's actually pretty hard to affect in-store turn um, with any kind of digital way that scales. Now, um, I think one of the challenges for brands is that they already have pretty tight margins when they have their retail um, retail distribution agreements where they have to pay trade. Trade, spent, they have tradesmen they have to pay, they have to give the stores their margin and so forth. And so it doesn't leave a lot of room to add in this additional Instacart marketing budget. And so brands mm-hmm. often have to make this call where it really is a marketing investment, not really a profitable sales investment a lot of the time. And so, um, yeah, it kind of, kind of becomes a little bit of an accounting question of like, can I allocate marketing budget to push Instacart turn? Now, the interesting thing that we've heard from Instacart is that they are actively pivoting away from being a grocery company and they're trying to mm-hmm. move to other categories where there's actually more room for this. And it, it's very interesting. They have um the like iconic Instacart logo is this carrot. And if you look at their mm-hmm. logo right now, they've actually taken the carrot away. It's just a triangle. I think it's still like an orange triangle. Um <laughs> but they're they're actually moving to it. And uh, it intuitively actually makes sense. Um, the times in your life that you need something that day and like very urgently, it's not often food. Uh, you know, sometimes like if you have a beauty product or a skincare product or you need some pet food or something, you can't wait for the weekend or the next day. And so um, mm-hmm. I think they're actually starting to grow in other types of retailers that are not just grocery.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So it's, um, yeah, maybe that does sort of stay stay a niche, but um, that'll be one we'll continue to, to, to watch. Um, it's been, uh, you know, some people are saying, well, maybe that was going to open the floodgates to more IPOs, but um, it seems like maybe that uh, expectation was a little bit uh, premature. Um, so, Chris, we're about um, out of time here. I um, want to make sure you have a chance to tell people how they can reach out to you. Sign up for your newsletter. Get to know more about Cartograph. You have some good white papers on your um, on your website. How do people access those?
1: Sure. Yeah, we um, we actually just published a new white paper on supplements on Amazon, which is a whole whole different problem of itself. Of you know how do you navigate compliance and uh, labeling and so forth, um, and to, in order to sell your supplements on Amazon. But if you want to find us, um, you can either go to our website, which is gocartograph.com, or visit us on LinkedIn. We actually publish content on LinkedIn regularly. Every week we publish our latest breaking tips or news about being an active operator on the Amazon platform. And then we have a monthly newsletter that um, where we talk about trends on Amazon and then generally we'll publish one white paper per month. So find us on LinkedIn or our website and um, yeah, feel free to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn as well.
0: Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, thanks very much, Chris, and hope everyone has a good one.